we thank God for bringing us together once again on this uh, cold Sunday. Uh, we managed to wake up and take a bath and uh, come to church. I'd like to think that we all took a bath, but <laughs> that's a personal conviction, isn't it? <laughs> um, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Let me take this time to welcome um, our visitors. At the back there, there's uh, um, Henry and Miranda. Uh, Henry and Miranda are from here in Rustenbeck, that side of Greystone. Uh, get to know them, make them feel at home. Um, I don't know if there's any other visitors that I haven't um, recognized. Uh, okay. Mark chapter 2, we've been going through a series on, on Mark, and uh, we've um, looked at several um, um, stories in, in chapter 1, and now we are in Mark chapter 2. I don't know how long it will take us to go through Mark. Um, hopefully, you won't be tired right after we, have, uh, we are done with, with Mark. Um, this morning, we're looking at chapter 2. Let us take this time and present it to the Lord in prayer. So chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you for bringing us together this morning. And it is our desire and our prayer that our hearts will be surrendered to you, that you will conquer our hearts for yourself. As we hear your word, may you shape our thinking, may you um, transform our hearts and may you conform our will to your will, that we may be a people that truly honor you, a people that hear your word. We pray for the spirit of conviction even this morning. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen. A while ago, I heard a story of a man who was hanging a painting in, in the living room and he fell and hurt his back while he was doing that. So on this day, um, he had bought a painting, a nice painting that he um, wanted to put up in, in the living room. And uh, to do so, he took a step ladder and um, uh, mounted the picture. And, in, and as he was doing so, Within a second, he found himself on the floor with a painful back. He had fallen. Um, it wasn't an emergency problem. It wasn't a problem that one had to rush to the emergency room. He could um, you know, get up and probably put ice on his back. But to be cautious, he went to the emergency room. Uh, when he got there in the emergency room, the, the doctors confirmed that um, it was not really a big deal. He could have just taken um, you know, a painkiller and, and put ice on, on his back. But when the doctors examined him and, and checked his vitals, they saw that there was a bigger problem than the problem of his back. A problem that he was not aware of. He was a few minutes away from getting a life-threatening heart attack. And they could see it immediately and save his life, stop the heart attack from happening. 
Mark presents us here with a similar story in chapter 2, verse 1 to 12. A paralytic man is brought to Jesus so that he can walk. His problem is the fact that he is a paralytic man. But Jesus Christ, as they bring him to Jesus, sees the deeper problem that this man has. Let us look at Mark chapter 2, shall we? I read from the ESV, follow me as we read God's word. This is the Lord's word. Follow me as I read. And when he returned to Capernaum for some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. How can he forgive sins? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they, were, they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? To say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, Rise up, take your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. We saw in, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus began his public ministry in the city of Capernaum. Chapter 1, verse 21. He entered the town and immediately he began to preach about the kingdom of God. Jesus also demonstrated great power. He cast out demons and healed diseases of all sort. In Mark chapter 31, in ch- chapter 1, verse 32 we learn that Jesus must have healed nearly every person in that town. His miracles eclipsed his message. The people flocked to Jesus to see what he would do next. Each minute left them hungry. Each miracle left them hungry for, for more. They, 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 and, and, and Jesus, to, to escape this frenzy, he and his four disciples left Capernaum and began, and began a preaching tour through Galilee. This you see in chapter 138 and 39. Now, that preaching tour is over now. Jesus and his men returned to Capernaum. This town was an important place in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus. Capernaum served as the northern headquarters for his ministry. It was here that he put his great healing power on public display. It was here that he preached in power. It was here in Capernaum that Jesus Christ made his very public claims to be the Messiah, 
to be the Christ. Remember, this is how Mark introduces him, right? This is what Mark wants us to see. He says, this is the gospel of, 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 Jesus, um, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He, he wants us to see that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one. But Copernum had a problem. The, the city valued the miracles more than the message of the Messiah. They, they, they wanted the spectacular and they rejected our Lord's offer of salvation. They wanted a magician, in other words. As a result, Jesus later pronounced the curse upon Capernaum, right in Luke chapter 10, verse 13 to 15. Remember those woes? He, uh, you know, throws a woe at, at Capernaum. So those who received much from the hand of the Lord that we see and rejected it will face greater judgment. So Jesus and his men return to Capernaum. We are told that they enter the house here. They enter the home. He was at home. This is probably a reference to the home of Peter in chapter 1 verse 21. Remember, they went to Peter's house and his mother-in-law was sick. They entered the town with no fanfare. But word soon got out that Jesus was back in Capernaum. When the people heard that the miracle worker had returned, they, they flocked to the house where he was staying. Jesus is in the house and the crowds have come to see him and to see what he will do. I want to share the events of this passage and preach on it is a miracle. It is a miracle. That's the title of the sermon, It is a Miracle. Amazing things will happen when Jesus is in the house. And, and people, as I said, that one of the pains or one of the things that Mark really, really wants to emphasize and, and wants to show us is, is how blind, for the most part of the gospel according to Mark, the disciples were to who Jesus was, how they were concerned with the surface issues and, and did not really come to grasp the, the deep issues, the true thing that was right before their eyes. They were concerned about the surface things, and we'll see this the case. Many things happen, and people wonder over the miracle that Jesus um, performs. Let's look at into this wonderful scene and watch as the events of the day unfold. The text unfolds in three scenes that show us the greatest miracle of all. The greatest miracle of all. The first scene is in verses 1 and verse 2. We see Jesus and his preaching. Verse 1 and verse 2, Jesus and his preaching. And when he returned to Capernaum, it says, after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that they were there, uh, so that there was no more room and even at the door, uh, even at the door, and he was preaching the word to them. Do you see that? He was preaching the word to them. You see, anyone can draw a crowd, right? Wrestlers can draw a crowd, celebrities, musicians, and preachers as well can draw crowds. It's what you do with that crowd that makes the difference. 
Jesus could have used this opportunity to increase his celebrity in Capernaum. He, he could have performed a few miracles and the people would have been eating out of his hands. After all, that is probably why they came, right? They came to see miracles. They came to see the Lord work more miracles. They came to see him do the extraordinary. Imagine their surprise and disappointment when Jesus began to teach them. When he opens up the scriptures to them. Some people think that a service that includes preaching is a routine. Right? Boring service. They exalt the times when there is no preaching, when we come together, and I've, I've, I've seen this actually, when we come together and all of a sudden the, 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 the pastor says, today God um, does not want me to preach, so let us sing and sing and, 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 and pray. I think that's an indication that, pastor, you did not prepare. <laughs> so it is clear to me that to Jesus... The message was far more important than the miracles, wasn't it? We, we, we do not know what the Lord preached that day. We, it, it doesn't tell us. As, as we saw, that Mark hardly focuses on the words of Jesus. He focuses more on the actions, right? And the actions are what teaches us who Jesus is. But we can safely say that he probably reached back into the Old Testament and preached about the same things he had preached the first time he was in town in Mark chapter 1 verse 14. He probably preached about the kingdom of God, the power of God and the salvation of God. This was probably his his focus, his central focus here. And surely Jesus preached the central message of the Bible, the salvation is by faith through grace. Right? Preaching was central to the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus. And the same should be true of the church, shouldn't it? The same should be true of the church. The preaching must be the thing that, uh, that we come to hear. Obviously, not, not just you coming to hear my ideas, right? Coming to hear the word of God preached. That is why we, we, we say Central Baptist Church, where the word of God is central, right? We want the word of God to shape us, to, to shape our thinking, to shape our actions, to shape our speech, to shape our desires. Preaching must be central. It, it is a mark of a healthy church. Now, I love good singing. I love special services, but nothing can take the place of preaching. Preaching is ultimate. Right? Jesus saw preaching as very important to his ministry. Preaching is is God's chosen method for reaching into the heart of the lost with the gospel of grace. Nothing should ever be allowed to crowd out the message of the gospel. We should pray that our church will stay focused on the message. Right? It would be easy to slack off and back off so that we could entice people to come to our church. The primary business of this church is not to fill the pews or our bank accounts. Our primary business is the proclamation of the Lord's message. So we see the Lord here as he as the crowd gathers around him, the most important thing he does that is probably surprising to them is that he starts teaching them. 
He starts teaching them. So the first scene, we see Jesus and his preaching. Secondly, in verse 3 to verse 5, we see Jesus and his power, his display of power. Right? Look at verse 3 to verse 5. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him, because of the crowd, they, they removed the roof above him. And, 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 and um, they had made an opening. They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Right in the middle of his preaching, something spectacular happens. Four men bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They believe that if they, 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 they can get this man to Jesus, then, they can, uh, then Jesus can heal his body. When they arrive at the house, the, the crowd is so large that they cannot get into the house through the door. Now, now houses in that day were usually constructed with flat roofs, right? A set of stairs on the side of the house allowed access to the roof. These roofs were usually made by laying timbers across the, the, the top of the house. These timbers were, were, were then covered with a layer of branches. And this, covered was also, was, this, this layer of branches was covered by uh, clay tiles. And, and finally, a thick layer of mud was placed on the very top. And this was rolled and pressed until it was very hard and, 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 and rainproof. Right? So it was kind of good architecture for the day. So here is a funny scene. Jesus is preaching in the house. You can imagine. You know, I've been disturbed when I was preaching by a whole lot of things. Right? I've, I've been disturbed by a crying baby. And you know, a few weeks ago, my son was crying in there. And I was trying to finish to, 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 to see what is happening. Right? But it's crazy that Jesus is preaching and you can imagine dust now on his head. These guys came and brought their friend. They carry him and they realize they can't reach Jesus. And, 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 and now they don't want to go home. They don't want to go home. They came and what they came for must happen. And so they go upstairs. Right? They go upstairs and they start digging. They begin to dig through the roof until they made an opening large enough to lower their friend into the house. Can you imagine the scene in this, in the house? As Jesus preaches, the sound of digging in his head overhead. After a short time, dead and wood begin to fall on the crowd assembled below. Then blue sky breaks through the, the, the darkness and the man is lowered into the room. That's an unusual thing. Right? It's very unusual. I wonder what Peter was thinking. <laughs> he probably didn't like the thought of seeing his house torn apart. He may have wondered if his, home insur- his homeowner's insurance would cover the cost of the repairs. But Peter couldn't stop it. He couldn't stop it as well. The same crowd that kept the four men and the paralyzed men out of the house kept Peter in the house. I wonder what Jesus thought as well. I imagine there's, there, there was a smile on his face as he realized what was happening. I'm sure that he is amused by the whole thing. 
I wonder what the crowd thought as well. Surely this had never happened in a worship service before. They, 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 they were no doubt amazed at what was taking place. Let me say a word about the four men who brought their friend to Jesus. These men were willing to do whatever it took to get their friend to the Lord. First of all, they, they dared to do what was difficult. Right? It was not easy to carry the men up to the roof. It was a difficult task, wasn't it? The Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Faith is something that works in the heart and then it works its way to the outside. James uh, 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 tells us that faith without works is dead, isn't it? A A faith that won't put you to work for Jesus probably won't take you to heaven either. Secondly, what we see about these men is that they dared to do the unusual. They were willing to think outside the box. For them, it was no, not business as usual. It took ingenuity to think of breaking the roof to get to, them, to, to that man, to Jesus. Thirdly, they dared to do the costly. They might have had to pay for the cost of the repairs to Peter's roof. These men were willing to do whatever it took to bring that man to the Lord. That same heart needs to beat within us, doesn't it? As long as it is biblical, we should not shy away from, from bringing to Jesus with the passion, as, as much passion as we possibly can. Obviously, this is not the application of the passage, but we can um, look at it that way, can't we? Right? That we should see coming to Jesus as very important that we will go through, through lengths to get people to come to Jesus. We will dig deep in our pockets to see missions uh, uh, progressing and, and, and being su- successful, right? That, that, that we, will, we will see the fact that when we look at the world, as Jesus saw the crowds in, in another, in another um, scene, he sees them as sheep without a shepherd, that we will see them as needing Jesus more than anything else. They dared to do the costly. The paralyzed man is lowered into the service. Jesus witnesses the extent and the depth of their faith in him and his ability then Jesus does something amazing, doesn't he? He looks at the man and says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This man was brought to Jesus for healing and Jesus deals with, with his sins. Why? Why would Jesus do that? Surely this man, the, 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 the foe who brought him and the crowd thought his greatest problem was paralysis. Right? A few weeks ago, I, we, we spoke about that, that when, when we think about what the problem of the world is, there are so many answers that are offered. And these answers only look at the surface issues, Right? The, 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 the sociologists um, in sociology, they, they say, no, the, the, the problem really um, is, is, is the people don't have jobs. Let, let us create jobs. 
right? And job creation will solve the issue of uh, the, the problem of humanity. Psychologists, on the other hand, they, they look at the past and how one was affected and, and, and so on and so forth. Let us change the past. Let them deal and, and blame their issues on their parents and, and so on and so forth, right? Uh, obviously, I'm, 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 I'm just giving strawberries there. But, uh, and, 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 and so on and so forth, right? Politicians say, no, the problem really is the, the, the current political party. If we remove the current political party, then the problem will be, will be solved, right? And to some extent, people need choice, don't they? And sometimes we need to be people in background. We need, obviously, to remove sometimes. There are political parties that is corrupt, and that's not um, doing well. But these are just suffers. They are not dealing with the real problem. We see the same thing here. They, they think that the problem is adolescence. This is the suffers problem. But Jesus knew the truth. The deeper problem. Sin was his greatest problem and Jesus dealt with it first. By the way, sin is your greatest problem too. Sin is our greatest problem. All too often we are focused on the physical and never give any thought to the spiritual. We spend all our life and all our time trying to, 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 be too, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and we never stop to think about where we stand in the eyes of the Lord. Right? We never stop to think about that. The greatest need of your life right now is not a physical need. Your greatest need is not physical. It doesn't matter what you are facing. Your greatest need has always been and will always be spiritual. And the only place you will find help is in Jesus Christ. Let's examine the Lord's words here to this man in detail for a moment. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. That man didn't realize the full impact of what Jesus was saying to him. But those were the greatest words he had ever heard. First of all, he says, son. The word son is the same word that is translated child. It is a word that conveys the idea of tenderness. When Jesus spoke to this man, he spoke to him tenderly. And he he spoke to him as a son. This is a word that speaks of family. Jesus brings him near. This is what happens when a lost sinner meets the master. That lost one, like the prodigal in Luke chapter 15, is taken in by the father. That one who was lost is dressed in the father's garments, receives a ring of reconciliation, shoes of a son, and takes the seat at the table as a member of the family of God. That lost one is treated no longer as a stranger, but as a child of God. If you're saved, you are a child of God. Isn't that what 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says? Behold, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we be called the children of God. And such we are. Secondly, he says you're forgiven. That word implies that the man's guilt, shame, and sin has been taken away. 
The, the, the first word brought into him into the family, the word son, the second word brings him into fellowship with God. There is sin in all its ugliness and horror that stands between the sinner and God. Doesn't it? Our sin have, have separated us from God, as Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says. But when a lost person comes to Jesus for salvation, all their sins are instantly and eternally forgiven. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he taken our sins from us. When your sins are forgiven, you are brought into perfect fellowship with the Heavenly Father. What a truth. What a blessing. Right? And thank God for our Savior that He has the power to forgive us erase our past and do away with our guilt. Have you ever experienced the forgiving power of God? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you, are you saved? Are your sins forgiven? Or are you still in your sins? Have you ever heard him call you son? My child. So we see Jesus and his power. Lastly, from verse 6 to verse 12, we see Jesus and his proof. Jesus has just given this poor paralyzed man the greatest gift the world has ever known forgiveness and acceptance do you think the man and his friends were disappointed do you think they expected more well they were not the only ones who were surprised by what Jesus had done in verse 6 and verse 7 look at verse 6 and verse 7 we see the criticism here there the, the arises a criticism now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Sitting there in the house that day were some scribes. This man had no doubt been sent to check up on Jesus of Nazareth. The scribes were writers, as the name implies. These men were given the duty of copying the scriptures. As they copied, they, they became familiar with the biblical texts. They, they, they eventually became scholars and authorities in the text. But by Jesus' time, the scribes and their interpretation of the law had become more important than the law itself. When these religious men had Jesus forgave the crippled man's sins, they could not forgive, they could not believe their ears. They, they knew that only God could forgive their sins and their theology was right, wasn't it? Only God can forgive sins. But they were still blind. And it is what Luke is showing us, isn't it? Mark. It is what Mark is showing us. That they were still blind. Their theology was as straight as a gun barrel. But their eyes were as blind as TV Wonder. They understood the words of Jesus as a claim to be God. And when they heard this, they immediately accused him of blasphemy. And of course, like most legalists and hypocrites, they were cowards and didn't have the courage to come right up 
and accused Jesus openly. This was the first encounter Jesus had with the religious elite of his day, but it would not be the last. In fact, the religious leaders of Israel would be instrumental in having Jesus crucified. They accuse him of blaspheming because he forgives sins. Now look at the confrontation, verses 9 and verse 8. Jesus, being God, knew they were think, what, what they were thinking in their hearts. He immediately offers them a challenge. His words are worth considering. Jesus said, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise up, take your bed and walk? Now, which do you think is easier to say? I think the one that is easier to say is to say, your sins are forgiven. Right? In, in this case, we're talking about surface issues. I can say to you, since I'm forgiven, and I don't have to, 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 to make you get up and, and, and rise. Right? Either of those statements, actually, is easy to make. But one can be proved. Right? Anyone can say your sins are forgiven. But the real test is for the crippled man to rise up and take your bed and walk. But only God possesses the ability to make either happen. Jesus is setting up a test to prove that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is God himself. And verse 10 to verse 12 shows us the confirmation of this. In these verses, Jesus uses the the physical to prove the spiritual. As I said, the forgiveness of sin cannot be proven here. But the physical healing is easy to prove. When Jesus commanded the man to say, Arise, take up your bed, and go your way. He was proving that he, um, that he was who he claimed to be. This was the acid test. If Jesus gave the command and the paralytic just continue, continued to lie there, then Jesus would be pro- proven to be a, f- a fraud. But if the man got up and as he did, it would prove that Jesus possessed the power to heal. A power, by the way, that was one of the calling cards of the Messiah. When you look at Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4 to 6, this is what it says. It says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. And the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This was one of the proofs of, the, of, of a Messiah who's coming. By healing this man, Jesus proved that he was worthy of faith. He was proving that he was the Messiah. He was proving that he was God in the flesh. <coughs> Notice his words in verse 10. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. The words on earth are very interesting. I think they can be taken two ways. First, Jesus is saying that he had power, right? While he was here on earth to forgive sins. He proved this several times as he forgave those who came to him. And I praise his name that he possesses that power. If you need forgiveness today, you can come to Jesus and find complete forgiveness in him. You can draw near to him and he will forgive 
your sins. Secondly, Jesus is saying that the place to receive forgiveness is here on earth. It will be too late to be forgiven when this life is over. If you expect to meet the Lord in heaven and have him weigh your good, um, your good deeds against your bed and let you into heaven that way, you're going to be sadly disappointed, right? If you need to be saved, the time to come to Jesus is now. If you need to be forgiven, the time to come to Jesus is now. When you leave this world in death, it will be too late to make any preparations for eternity. There will be no second chances and no more opportunities. You will have to deal with your sin problem. In this world, if you don't come to Jesus, you will die and go to hell. So Jesus heals the man and the paralyzed man gets up, picks his mat, elbows his way through the crowd and leaves. He simply gets up and walks. As I was thinking about this story, Mark actually ends it here, right? Where the man picks up his mat immediately and starts to walk. And that's it. Mark leaves it here. But his story doesn't end here, does it? Imagine. Use your... your, your, your Sanctified imagination with me. Later that day, the paralytic man is with his family. Probably some relatives have heard what has happened to the man and they've traveled from far to see the rumors, if the rumors are true. They, they want to see it themselves. They've known that he was a paralytic probably most of his life. He comes and they can't believe their eyes. They see him walking around and he's probably greeting everyone and hugging everyone and kissing uh, people. He gestures his hand to the crowd that has gathered to come see this miracle. They are probably saying in his heart, it is a miracle. It is a miracle. And he gestures to the crowds and they keep quiet waiting to hear him speak. Then he says to them, You won't believe what happened to me today. You won't believe what happened to me today. What do you think they are saying in their hearts? Of course we know what happened to you today. You're walking. And he says to them, Jesus forgave my sins. Jesus forgave my sins. The greatest burden that man had was not the fact that he could not walk. The greatest burden was the fact that he was without God and his sins were upon him. And his greatest praise to God was the fact that his sins were healed. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, our Lord and God, we thank you that we can sing the song of the redeemed. But not all of us, Lord. There are some who cannot sing this song or truly sing this song. are still in their sins. We pray for them, O Lord, 
that they will hear your voice in their hearts. Sons, my child, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. May their eyes be opened to your truth, O Lord, to see Christ on the cross, Christ who conquered death, rose again from the dead for our justification. May they come to truly know you, O Lord. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.